Hi there. This is Kathy, the host of the Rocky Retirement Show. All of our quote normal episodes are pre recorded, as you probably know, and this one is no exception. I thought I'd let you take a break from all of the COVID 19 news and listen to a discussion that was recorded on February 5th, 2020. But because this was pre recorded, some things have changed. The Peace Corps announced on March 15th, 2020, that it's evacuated all of its volunteers worldwide, or it's still evacuating, depend on when you listen to this, but it expects to restore operations after the pandemic ends. We've been in touch with David Jarmel, who still encourages our listeners to consider the Peace Corps as an option once the crisis passes. We'll still be releasing COVID-19 specific episodes to help you cope mentally, physically, and financially with this crisis, but for now, let's all take a 20-minute break from all of the news. You know, taking a break from news and doing something else for even a few minutes is good for your mental health. So enjoy this episode with David Jarmel, and then come back later for some COVID-19 specific episodes. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Rock Your Retirement Show. I'm your host, Kathy Klein, and today we're talking with David Jarmel, the author of Not Exactly Retired. His book discusses three trips that he took, two trips within the United States, and then a two-year tour with the Peace Corps. Today, we're going to be focusing on the Peace Corps tour. Try saying that three times as fast as you can. Actually, this was his second Peace Corps tour, and we'll touch briefly on the first one and what happened on that trip. Many of the listeners to the Rocky Retirement Show are trying to figure out what they'll do with their second act. Listen to today's episode to find out if you're too old for the Peace Corps and what to expect if you sign up. But before we start, I wanted to tell you that this episode is brought to you by, ha, huh, I bet you were expecting to hear about my business, Medicare Quick, but no, today NordVPN is sponsoring the show. NordVPN is a virtual private network. That means if you do join the Peace Corps, you'll still be able to access the same websites that you can access at home, even if they're blocked by that country. And if you never join the Peace Corps, but you use public Wi-Fi, your data will be much, much safer. If you're curious about how to make your online shopping and data safer, go to rockyourretirement.com slash VPN. That's Victor Paul Nancy. We'll get a tiny payment for everyone that signs up using this link, so share it with your friends and family. Okay, I'm not going to make you wait any longer. Let's go ahead and bring on David. David, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to hear about your Peace Corps tour and how it can help my listeners. Oh, Kathy, thank you so much for having me on the program. I'm a fan. And so it's really a pleasure to be on. And hi, everyone. Yeah, I'm so excited to find somebody that is older than me, because I'm, I'm in my 50s, who's actually been to the Peace Corps, because I always thought that this was for young people. 
Now, you started your adventure with, like I said, two U.S. trips prior to your Peace Corps trip. And your Peace Corps trip started when you were 63, right? Do I have those dates right? You, you do have it right. Actually, I, my two trips, one was 11,000-mile drive across 31 states with my wife. This was less than a week after I left my job. Came home, spent a few weeks, and then we headed off to Nepal, where we spent almost two months, including in some areas where Westerners rarely go. Came back, finished our application for the Peace Corps, and then off we went a few months later to serve for more than two years in Eastern Europe in a little country called Moldova. Yeah, and I can't wait to talk about that. But before we do, I have some questions for you. (laughs) I wanted to know if the timing of your trip to the Peace Corps had anything to do with Medicare or Social Security, because you weren't old enough to collect Medicare yet. I don't know if you collected your pension from Duke. And for the listener, you're going to have to listen, you're going to have to read the book to get all of the details. We're going to be touching on some of them, but you're going to have to read his book to get all of the details because we don't have time to, man, that book is packed with stories about his three trips. So, but anyway, my question is, since I deal with Medicare in my business, uh, did the timing have anything to do with that? Well, I'll have a question for you, Kathy, since you're the Medicare expert. If you apply for Medicare while you're in the Peace Corps in Eastern Europe in a place like <laughs> Moldova, can you can you guess where you have to submit your application? Uh, uh, the ambassador? I don't know. Well, actually, you go to the American embassy in Athens, Greece. Oh, in Greece. <laughs> yeah. So Peace Corps has an administrative director uh, in the country where we were serving, as they do everywhere. And he guided my wife and me through applying for Medicare before we were about to turn 65. Did a great job and, and handled all of that. You know, nobody joins the Peace Corps to get rich. And right. that's certainly not, not why why you should do it. Um, but it, it turns out from a financial standpoint to be a pretty good way to make a transition from a paycheck into the next phase of your retirement. Peace Corps covers all of your expenses. They pay your way over. You get free medical and dental care. So you didn't even have to go on COBRA or anything, right? Not at all. Before we left, we had really good coverage through my job and that we maintained that uh, as a retiree coverage after I left. But then when we joined the Peace Corps, I was able to suspend that for the entire time we were gone. So my medical premiums were zero for more than two years. And likewise for my wife. Yeah, it was great. And and, uh, Peace Corps had its own doctor and medical team. And they were really excellent. I mean, we thought we got very good medical care. Um, And so that covered us uh, actually until shortly after we finished our service. And then I was able to transition over to activating Medicare, and I um, have a retirement plan through my university. So that's, yeah, so that was that was uh, a real nice benefit. Again, not the reason to do it, but it turns out to, to be a good way to make that transition. Oh, well, I have so many questions. I'm hoping that we can get through them all on this short interview. So one of my other questions that had to do with your health. So on your first Peace Corps duty in Nepal, where you met your wife, you got sick and got sent home. And so my question is, was Champa concerned about your health on this tour? I mean, she met you, she, you got engaged, 
You were sick. <laughs> so let's let's back sick. up for people who haven't read the book. First joined the Peace Corps shortly after I graduated from college. So I was in my early to mid-20s, and I was sent to Nepal in the Himalaya Mountains, where I was posted in a school, you know, kind of in the middle of nowhere in the Himalayas. Uh, and I was there for a year and then got moved to closer to the capital my second year. But as you said, I fell in love with one of the other teachers at the first school. We eventually got married, and we've now been married for more than 40 years. Um, while I was there, I got um, asthma and various bronchial problems. I got pneumonia twice. I was pretty sick, and they finally kicked me out. I was me medically terminated, as they gracefully say. Um, but over this, over the years, um, I'm actually in quite good health. And when by the time we applied for Peace Corps again in our early 60s, Peace Corps has a very rigorous medical review process. Between the two of us, we had to submit more than 40 different forms. It took a while, but it was in its own way pretty straightforward. And they said yes, and off we went. And I must say, for the entire time we were there, we were quite healthy. Right. I'm not worried about I'm not worried about yeah. what the Peace Corps was thinking. I'm more worried about what your wife was thinking. Oh, she wanted to do it too. Right, but was she you know, concerned she's a at all? She was very unusual Peace Corps volunteer that she she herself was taught by Peace Corps volunteers when she was growing up. So, she had a soft spot in her heart for it as well. And so, no, she thought that I would be fine and 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 I was. We managed to support each other the whole time. Right. And there are so many stories in the book. So many stories. And Unfortunately, we can't cover every single story. And some of my questions are, they go a little bit deeper than what the book went into. But I do recommend that the listener does read the book that you wrote, because it's very interesting with all the different stories and the life that you've led with these three trips. And so that was one of my questions is, wow, was, was your wife concerned about your health? Because although you're healthy in the U.S., Perhaps going to another third world country would set off another bout of sickness. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. But she didn't have any concerns about it at all. I want to back up about why why we did this. So sure. I had a pretty I had a um a fairly high powered job at a university. I was running a news office then and, and it was pretty stressful. I loved it. I loved my job. I loved my colleagues. But by the time we hit our early 60s, we knew that this dream we'd had for many years about becoming Peace Corps volunteers, it was time to get serious about it. My identity at that time was so tied up in my job too much, and I knew that I needed to find a way to, to close that chapter, which is why we set off on, on the trip around the United States and then in Nepal. It was a way to test drive ourselves emotionally before we committed to the Peace Corps. And it was a great thing to do. You know, I didn't want to be one of those people who hangs around saying, oh, you know, back when I was working there, I, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to move on to the next chapter of my life. And so we, we had this series of adventures and um, they're now behind us. And we feel like it was the best thing we ever did. Wow. What a great, what a great story. You know, that, that leads me into my next question, you know, by the time you retired, your wife had already retired, and she was retired prior to all three of your, your trips. She already had her life set up. She didn't need a transition because she had already gone through that transition. Did the two of you talk at all about your transition from working to retirement prior to these trips? We talked about it a lot. She um, She knew that... 
I really wanted to make a change, but the truth is she did too. She loved, that's our one great passion has always been traveling. We've always been prone to going to some out of the way places that, that some Americans might think twice about. We find it interesting and stimulating. And, um, you know, as for Champa, as someone who grew up without electricity or running water in Nepal, she was quite ready to head off to wherever the Peace Corps sent us. Right, because she'd already lived that way. She grew up that yeah. way, and she was a mm-hmm. she was a young adult. Well, she you were both. I'm guessing about the same age when you when you met. Yeah, that's so, right. So some Americans will go to uh, these third world countries. I've I've even my friends have talked about when I tell them about some of the places that I've gone, and they're like, "Ooh, everybody's poor there. It's depressing. It's whatever. It's this." And and I just see how happy everybody is. You know, when I go, it's like, everybody seems happy in some of these countries that I've been to. But, you know, your wife didn't, she didn't need to go to the Peace Corps to see how other people live. You know, she, she lived that. The Peace Corps was a great way for us to provide service. That was, you know, that is the heart of the Peace Corps. And that really was the main motivation for us. For both of you. We felt like we, for both of us, sure. You know, living here in the United States, we have many blessings. Um, we're very fortunate in many ways. And we felt that very much in our own lives. And we thought that, you know, for a couple of years, we want to give back and go someplace where we could try to be useful. Uh, Champa ended up being an English teacher, and I worked at the local library at this town where we were. Maybe you can talk about that. But in fact, we did. We felt very useful. We made dear friends. We learned a lot. And we ended up feeling the way that most Peace Corps volunteers do when they finish, which is we got much more than we gave. Yeah. Everyone that I've ever talked to that has done that kind of volunteer work feels the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, it just seems that the Peace Corps is a little bit tougher. And some of your stories illustrated that. You know, I was wondering. You you said that long ago, 30 years ago or however long ago it was, you sort of got kicked out because of medical reasons. Did, yeah. did joining the Peace Corps again have anything to do with you wanting to sort of finish what you started? Not really. I would say it was more of a feeling of, of a bookend on my career. Um, it's what I did when I sort of before I started putting on a business suit and living the typical American life. Uh, and at the end of it, it seemed like a nice way to sort of come full circle. Um, I almost completed my service the first time, and I, I never felt like, oh, gosh, I wish I wish I'd been able to make it. As far as I was concerned, I had done it and done it successfully. Yeah, I'm thinking, Kathy, some people may be listening to this and still saying, well, boy, the P- first of all, the Peace Corps, is that even still there? And the answer is yes. There's more than 7,000 volunteers serving in 61 countries around the world. And then they, they think that everybody is a recent liberal arts graduate. And yes, most, the majority of the volunteers are in their 20s, but um, volunteers come in all ages. They're single, they're married, they're gay, they're straight. Um, one third of Peace Corps volunteers now are minorities. Two thirds are women. Uh, one of the best things about that we, we found during our recent tour was we made friends from all over the United States, people we would not have met otherwise. Um, and so I was serving in many cases with volunteers younger than our two sons. 
and they became very dear friends. And I interacted with them in a way that I probably wouldn't hear here at home. And, and that was a joy. And it was one of the really great things about it. And you weren't the only people above 50 in your group, were you? One fourth of the people in my group were 50 or older. Now, that's quite high for Peace Corps. Internationally, the percentage is quite a bit lower than that. But there are hundreds of Americans every year who do sign up and, and serve. So although being over 50 isn't common for Peace Corps volunteers, it's also not unheard of. Remember Jenny Carter's mother, Miss Lillian, who served? She was older than we are. There was a volunteer. There are volunteers well into their 80s who are currently serving. We had a woman who came just when we were leaving. She was, I don't know, mid-70s, and she was on her third tour. Now, did she do those? She was a firecracker. She So, so yeah, people of all ages. Did the older woman, did she do it back-to-back, or did she go home, take a break? Yeah, she did it back-to-back. We also had two, two retired friends who were originally from Tucson. They both worked for IBM. They were uh, in a group ahead of us, and they served in Moldova, and they went home. And I think, uh, you know, and then they went off to serve in Armenia for two years, where, I, in fact, we visited them there. And they had two excellent experiences. As as the wife said to me, she said, you know, my, what am I going to do? Just sit in my front porch in, in Tucson and, you know, essentially just wait until the years go by they wanted to grab their life and make the most of it and so they did Hmm. you know uh that when you said the wife said that brings me to another question i have about your wife so Hmm? when you left you had baby twin grandchildren in addition to the grandchildren that you were helping to raise you know by just being there locally spending a lot of time with them And my question is this, because I know your wife is from Nepal, and I know so many people that will not leave their grandchildren, and it's usually the wife. So my question is, was this something that you had to talk her into, or was the fact that she left with you something to do with the culture? Because I know a lot of uh, Nepalese people, they, they have to go to another country to work to send money back home. What What do you think was the ability to talk her into doing this with two tiny babies at home, you know, tiny babies. So I didn't need to talk her into it. She was totally into this every bit as much as I was and was eager for the Peace Corps experience. As I said, she felt a personal debt to the Peace Corps because of the people who would help to teach her. Um, We now have seven grandchildren and you're right. We had twin granddaughters um, and the hardest thing for us was to leave them, uh, all, all the kids, and we missed them every single day that we were gone. Having said that, four of my grandkids live in Philadelphia. I'm in North Carolina, so we're going up to see them in a couple of days. We go up there regularly. But if you're calling them from North Carolina or you're calling them from Moldova or Africa or Latin America or wherever you are, in some ways, it's not a whole lot different. And we were very connected. The internet connection was excellent. We were able to Skype and call and stay in touch and um, and also to stay in touch with TV shows and everything else back home if we wanted to do that. So it was a far cry from when I was a volunteer in Nepal in the late 1970s where I was 
basically taken off to a village and dropped off and essentially good luck see you in a couple of years. Um, and I did not even have a phone call for two years. It was, everything was just with letters, much less the internet didn't even exist yet. Now you can, you know, there were people who were watching, some of my fellow volunteers were watching Game of Thrones. So it's a lot different. Right. I completely get it. And I do get that she wanted to go as much as you did. I'm just talking about the timing. The timing of leaving when you have newborn grandbabies. I'm just wondering if the culture... Yeah, well, number seven was born shortly after we came back. And, you know, there's never going to be an ideal time. Uh, all, But for us, all four of our parents were gone. We have two sons. They were both married and with families of their own and doing well. And, of course, we did not do this without talking with them and their wives and families and they all supported it very generously, but I think also wholeheartedly. They knew that this was in our hearts and it was something we wanted to do. And the thing we worried about so much was like, were we being selfish? Were we having this big adventure at the expense of our family? But I, I don't think we did. And I also think that we were consciously trying to, we, we hope that when our grandkids get older, they will know this, they will look at this and we hope it may guide their own values about their place in the world um, and their also their own sense of adventure. And now that we have the perspective of being back almost two years, we don't regret it for a moment. Oh, and I bet you just have so many memories, which we're going to touch on if, if you have time. On this show, we deal with the stress that people go through when it comes to retirement. A lot of my listeners had high... I, I call them high-powered jobs. They're managers, they're executives, they're CEOs, that kind of thing. And you cut off ties pretty abruptly with Duke. And so my question is, and then you you went to something. So you were going to something, not running from something. But you did it pretty abruptly. And so my and you did, it was planned. They threw you a great party, all of these things that you didn't get fired or anything like that. But my question is, did you ever regret that a, abrupt cutoff or do you feel like that's the way you should have like that was the way to go you know it's what I needed to do for myself uh, again I knew that if I lingered here in Durham North Carolina where we live and where the university is located that I would not be able to turn the corner in the way that I wanted to emotionally and I have remained very good friends with many of the folks that I work with. I, you know, seeing several of them this week. Um, we stayed in touch. And I also started a blog, Kathy, which, which they all followed. The blog ended up having readers in more than 100 countries around the world, which was about our adventures, but also addressing some of the questions you're raising about what does it mean to be retired? How do you change your identity? How do you embrace the next phase of your life? And so I think that they felt very connected to what we were doing, and uh, and we felt connected to them. Mm. So uh, I think it's a good question, but uh, it was it was the right thing. And they all they all knew me, and they knew Champa, and they knew that that's what we wanted to do. That's great. And you had several conversations. I remember one with your friend Linda, and mm -hmm. she told you what it was like when she made the transition, and you talked a lot about different things about retirement. Was there anything in that conversation that I don't know if you recall the conversation you Right, that was at the very beginning of our American trip. So she's an old friend. Our sons went to daycare together many years ago and 
she and her husband have remained very good friends of ours. They retired a few years before we did, and we were watching them really carefully. <laughs> and we had dinner that first night of our American trip, and they started telling us about Medicare, which would have been good to have you at the table probably, <laughs> uh, and so and Social Security, and you know things that frankly we hadn't given a whole lot of thought to. Um, and, you know, we, we were just kind of sopping it up. And, and I suspect that others were in turn reading my blog and now, now reading the book, trying to think about how this may apply to their lives. The, the message of the book and of our adventures, I want to be clear, it's not, hey, go join the Peace Corps. I mean, some people will, and I, I hope they will consider it. It's, it's different. What I'm saying is don't drift in your life. Don't don't just sort of like wake up when you're 85 and go, oh, hmm, I could have done this. It's like whatever whatever it is you want to do, it's like consciously think about it and try to grab it. And and if it can work and then try to make it happen. And so in our case, this was our bliss. It's what we wanted to do for other people. It's going to be something very different. And everyone's going to have to find what it is they want. You've had you know, many guests on your show. Uh, who have pursued this in very different ways, as you have, uh, and as your listeners will. In our case, we this is this is what we did. But the underlying theme is it's, it's you know it's go for it and embrace the next phase of your life. I love it. I love it. I want to talk a little bit now about your actual duty, about what you did mm -hmm. when you, things had happened when you were there, to let the listeners know sort of what the goals of the Peace Corps are. I'm not quoting exactly, but the Peace Corps has three goals. And that is, number one, they want to build the local capacity of people and help meet their needs for trained men and women. Number two, promote a better understanding of Americans. And number three, increase America's awareness and knowledge of other cultures and global issues. And I love that. And some people younger might not know that it was President Kennedy that started it, correct? That's right. In 1961. That's right. And so I love the fact that, that this is his legacy, one of his legacies that's still going on. And, but I want to bring it around a little bit. I tend to look at things a little bit differently than some people. Did living in other countries, because you've done this twice, where people are really poor, I mean, really poor, give you a different perspective on America's poor people in the U.S. For example, many people in this country who are considered poor have a smartphone and a television. And that's not necessarily true in other countries. Did that change your perspective here? I mean, you did start in your 20s in Nepal. So I don't know if that really gave you the opportunity. You know, I don't know if it affected you back then or again, or if it, if I, I'm way off base here, but did that affect your thought process about our poor at all? It, it did. Let me first say, you know, you mentioned President Kennedy, and I just would remind the listeners that that was several presidents ago. And so the Peace Corps has enjoyed wide bipartisan support under both Democrats and Republicans ever since then. And it's very much a, a non-political uh, non-religious organization and, and cherishes that tradition. At the beginning of our trip this time, you know, I returned to the village where I originally served as a Peace Corps volunteer in Nepal more than 35 years previously. And I was struck by 
um, how much better it was doing. Basically, there, there was cars and a, and a road and, and um, electricity and people watching TV and just more stuff in the shops. And just any way you looked at it, they were doing well. And in fact, that's what data show all around the world, that in terms of life expectancy, education, girls' education, just on so many measures. In fact, life in the, develop, in the developing world has improved quite dramatically just since my, between the time of my two tours, between your lifetime and mine. And, and I say that to make the point that things do get better. And, you know, the Peace Corps can only claim a tiny piece of that progress. But it reminds me that, that the efforts we make actually can have an outcome. And I felt that when I was in Nepal and I had some of my students from those days get in touch with me years later and tell me what they were doing. And it just was incredibly gratifying. And I now had that experience again more recently in Moldova. Um, in Moldova is a small former Soviet state. And a lot of the stuff you see in the news now about Ukraine, the tensions between East and West, and a lot of that is playing out in Moldova as well. It's, that's a whole other conversation. But they're they're having a tough time of it in a lot of ways. But simultaneously, we met just such dear people, um, and through my uh, through the teaching and the other work that we did and that Champa did, we felt like we were making a difference. And we were also doing the two of those three goals that you were talking about, which is we immersed ourselves in their culture, we ate their foods, we celebrated their holidays. We learned all as much as we could about their country. And in turn, we tried to share our American traditions. We had a big Thanksgiving dinner. We told them about our holidays. And so at this very much person-to-person level, in a tiny little way, we were trying to promote world peace. It sounds trite, but that's what we were doing. And that's what Peace Corps volunteers are doing all around the world. This is out of the headlines with, you know, wars and the State Department and all that. It's just ordinary people, ordinary Americans and ordinary people in other parts of the world forming bonds with each other as human beings. And I I think that's just a wonderful thing. Well, that's wonderful. Yeah. So you went over there. You learned their language, you learned their culture, you shared with some of yours, but we all know that as you get older, it's more difficult to learn a language. And you did talk about that it was more difficult the second time than it was in your 20s. And you were there for two years. By the end of the two years, did you ever feel comfortable with your ability to communicate or did you most, I mean, if I didn't feel I have done this. I will pull out my phone and use Google Translate. Um, oh, God bless Google Translate. I know. And I know you did that in some meetings, but I don't know if you ever did yeah. that face to face, like one on one. How uh, once or twice? Yeah. How comfortable did you ever get with the language? So the language that I learned was Romanian because Moldova used to be part of Romania. So most people speak Romanian, although a lot of people speak Russian as well. Um, And it was a struggle. There's just no two ways about it. I found it much harder than when I learned languages when I was younger. But I really kept at it and I studied hard. And by the time I left, I actually scored quite well on my exam at the end. Uh, And I could carry on a conversation in Romanian. Not great. But I could I had no trouble going to the market and buying things or having a fairly simple conversation. You know, people people appreciated you trying, especially if you were older. So 
if you're willing to make an effort, I think in most cases, that's good enough. And then you came home and started a Romanian meetup group and you practice every day. Just kidding. (laughs) Maybe that's tomorrow. You know, talking yeah. about difficulty, you know, I, I talking about difficulty, your first official partner, and I'm not going to give it away, but there's some difficulties with this partner. So you started looking around the city for another place where you could, you know, use your skills, help. Was that initiative something, is that encouraged at the Peace Corps or is it discouraged? Like, like are you... Are you quote allowed end quote to do that? Yeah, no, you're encouraged. You're encouraged. So here was the deal for me, which is I was posted initially at the local government office, and it was fine. And I actually liked my partner, and I got to be friends with what amounts to the governor, who worked in the same building. We became friends, and I and we did some things. So it was okay. It just wasn't great. And so I um, went to the local library because we learned about libraries during our training and I introduced myself and they said, Oh, Hey, we, we need someone to teach this computer coding initiative next week. You want to do that. And this is something that Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg and others has launched called hour of code to try to encourage kids around the world to learn simple coding. So I don't, I didn't know how to do coding, but I'm technically not afraid. So I said, all right, I'll give it a shot. So I, I taught this hour of code program basically following their instructions and the kids just love it. And so they said, well, you want, can you come back and do it? And as I said, we started a weekly class, which led to my also starting a robotics class. And before I knew it, I was just spending a lot of time at the library where I felt a lot more useful. And finally my boss at Peace Corps, my program director said, what if we just make that your official job? And I said, works for me. And so I went there and I had, following that, just a, a very productive time for the rest the rest of the time I was there. I love it. And that robotics program also brought the girls in. And I loved that part of the story. You yeah, want to talk a little a bit class, about that? Especially for girls. Yeah, it's, it's ironic because all of the librarians were women. And I was really pushing hard with these STEM programs, like for coding or for robotics, to make sure that we included girls. And so... We did. And, and with the robotics, we ended up having a robotics class just just for girls. And it was great. This is a an international program using Legos, what they call the EV3 robotics kit. Um, and they have competitions all around the world where you program these simple robots to run around the floor and do tasks and make noises and pick things up and move them. And, and um, it was we had so much fun. And the kids, in fact, I got a message uh, two days ago from one of the librarians that the, the kids on my team are about to go off to the Capitol oh. for yet another competition. And, and it just makes me really happy. When that's I, your when legacy. I that. Yeah, that's your legacy, you know? Well, the other big thing with the library was I, I worked with them. We created a family room in the library. We got a small grant from Peace Corps and they got some other money as well. And we refurbished one of the rooms and painted it with, with pictures of animals and stuff on the wall and created this wonderful, very kid-friendly room with toys and books for kids and comfortable seats for moms to sit and combined it with programming for the mothers where they could learn about children's health and other kinds of things. And that's also really going strong. In fact, it's become a national model 
And there was just a, a, a TV spot about it in Moldova a few days ago. Again, I, somebody sent me a copy of it. So yeah, it's it's really gratifying to know that you you know your hard work is paying off. But most importantly, that it, that they have embraced it and they have made it their own. The idea of a Peace Corps volunteer is is not oh I did this I did that. It's to empower people in the community to to try some new things themselves, to share a little of the skills that you have, but to very much empower them and help train them to try some new things. And if you're lucky, they will then continue it. And it's, it's, uh, it's a good feeling when that actually happens. Yeah, you're actually teaching them to fish instead of giving them a fish. I love it. Love it. Okay, so for people who don't want to leave the United States and go to a third world country to help, I did a search and I found... AmeriCorps, which is in addition to two that you mentioned, you mentioned Executive Service Corps, and I believe it's pronounced ReServe. Um, ReServe, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. But AmeriCorps, actually, they they have a program that they're searching for volunteers in my city. So what do you think about those three programs? And I don't know if you've done any research uh, about them, but... Any any uh, reason why? Yeah, and there are others. Another big one is RSVP, which is uh, aimed at, at older volunteers. And I don't claim to be an expert on all of these. I know AmeriCorps is sometimes called the Domestic Peace Corps. And in communities, of course, every community is going to have its own programs as well. Since I've been back, actually, Kathy, this is something I've gotten involved in in my community here in North Carolina that I don't think we do a great job as a country in tapping the expertise of older folks like you and me and, and some of the listeners, that many of us are still vital and still sharp and eager to be of service. Um, and when you look to some of the volunteer groups, they want someone to, to lick envelopes or hand up t-shirts at the marathon, which that's valuable too. But I think we could be doing a better job in more systematically identifying and tapping the particular skills of older folks. And so some of these organizations are, are trying to, to do that. In any case, there are great opportunities. If you just look, you know, everything, Habitat for Humanity and, and many others that your listeners will, will know were through their church or, or other groups. Right. So you've been back now for, what, a couple of years have you joined any volunteer organizations since you've been home? You know, the big one that I've gotten involved in is it's is actually a partnership between the state of North Carolina with the country where I served in the Peace Corps, Moldova. This is through the NATO Partnership for Peace. At the time, the Soviet Union was was uh, coming apart. They helped establish partnerships between many U.S. states and other countries around the world, especially in the former Soviet Union. And it was really pretty happenstance that North Carolina ended up becoming the partner with Moldova, but it did. And in the years that followed, quite amazingly, it has turned into this very vital partnership that started with the National Guard and has now expanded to include universities and church groups and synagogues and a variety of civic organizations that are providing training and, and groups go back and forth. So I've been working with the Secretary of State in North Carolina and with her team to try to improve some of their communications, also to round up the North Carolina former volunteer, Peace Corps volunteers, and otherwise working with this program. And it's, it's been great and helps keep me connected. 
Wow, that is an amazing end. Well, not really end beginning of the uh, the second part of your Moldavian volunteer work. I love that. I love that. So, where can we find your book, and how can we? And can I can I tell you tell you what a secret is? And I'm not exactly sure when this is airing, but where Chomp and I are hoping to go back before too long, it is going to be the 90th birthday of the grandmother of the host family that we live with. And she became like a mother to the two of us. She is this dear, dear woman to us. And she's going to be 90, and we are hoping to make it to her birthday party. So we'll, we'll, we'll see if that happens. But uh, that would be great if it does. How wonderful that would be. That's fantastic. Oh, and you have a picture of her at the end of the book, right? I do. Yeah. She's actually on the back, on the back cover. And so, again, the book is A Life-Changing Journey on the Road and in the Peace Corps, and it will be on uh, on Amazon and I hope in indie bookshops and Barnes & Noble you can get it and, and elsewhere as well. That's fantastic. And I also have a pretty, pretty good book, book website if people want to look it up online. They can find the book website and they'll, they'll see pictures from our trip and, and other, other goodies as well. And what's the book website? NotExactlyRetiredBook.com. Wonderful. And if somebody wants to contact you, can they contact you through the book through the book website? Yes, they can. Awesome. Well, this has been just really eye opening. And I'm sure my listeners have enjoyed this conversation as well. Thanks again for coming on the show. Is there one piece of advice that you want to leave a listener with? Um, I'll give you a plug, which is if you're going to join the Peace Corps or anything else, and you need help with your Medicare coverage, <laughs> give Kathy a <laughs> Oh, that's funny. That 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 is just. But they don't need it if they join the Peace Corps, right? They they're going to get medical. You still need to sign up. <laughs> and it's probably e- easier in your local office than it is going through Athens, Greece. Trust me. <laughs> that's probably true. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, David, and uh, to the listener. I'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Bye. Oh, wait. I wanted to thank you again for listening to the Rocky Retirement Show. If you're a new listener, a good place to start is episode 116. This explains the six pillars of retirement lifestyle and our general philosophy. Episodes 1 through 236 can be thought of as an encyclopedia. These are topics that may or may not be interesting to you. You can listen to the ones that you're interested in and forget the rest until the issue becomes an issue for you. And that's okay. I actually don't recommend starting with episode 1 and working through until the most recent. That's actually not how the show was designed. Of course, if you want to do that so you can see how the show changed over time, you're welcome to. Now, starting in August, actually August 31st of 2020, we changed the format of the show. The monthly episodes starting with 237 follow a real retiree from her pre-announcement through her first year of retirement. There might be bonus episodes, but we're committed to monthly. If you've enjoyed any of our past shows or the show that you've just listened to and you want to support us, 
you can do so in any of the four ways. One, share this episode with a friend or family member who needs to hear it. This is the most important way that people find us. Since our audience is typically older, we grow by having our listeners share our episodes with others. Two, subscribe to or follow the show using whatever podcast catcher you're listening on right now. Now, if you're listening on your computer, you can listen on your smartphone by going to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, iHeartRadio, Spotify. I mean, I believe on all of them. If you can't find us on the podcast catcher that you'd like to use, send us a note on the website at rockyourretirement.com and we'll make sure that we get on your favorite podcast app. But basically, what you do is you download the app and then you search for the show and when you find it, you'll hit subscribe. Make sure it's the Rock Your Retirement Show and that you hear my voice when you listen. Um, actually, there were some episodes where Henry Shapiro was a guest. Uh, we, we actually downloaded some of his episodes. So if you hear him, it's probably still the, the same show. There were maybe 34 or 35 episodes back in the beginning that we hosted on our show uh, when he decided to leave podcasting. Number three, how you can support us is by leaving a review. Whatever podcast app you're listening to normally has the option of leaving a review, either a written review saying how great the show is or just with stars. Five stars is typically the best. And of course, we're shooting for those five-star reviews. And if you tell us why you like the show, what you liked about it, it's actually easier for other people to understand what the show's about. A lot of people, when they find our show, they think it's about money. And of course, by now, you know that it's not. Number four, if you'd like to support us financially, of course, we're always appreciative of that. Just go to rockyourretirement.com slash support, and it will take you to our page where you can support us financially. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Bye.